Okay, if you have a Bible, we can turn there. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to Luke, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and I want you to put your finger on verse 32. Luke 24, 32. Luke 24, 32. So I want you to put your finger on verse 32, and as you're, as you're doing that, uh, some, of you may, some of you may know that uh, Pastor Caleb and his family are on, are on vacation this week, a much-needed vacation, and so uh, it will be a privilege to, to serve you uh, in the Word this morning. Back in the fall of 2020, uh, there, was a, there was a young man, about 24 years old, uh, working with a youth group in a small church on Long Island, a Korean guy, um, about my height, glasses, and he started to fall in love with a godly young lady, 24 years old, speech therapist, half Caucasian, half Korean, and his heart was burning for her and drawn to the fact that she would evangelize weekly outside in the winter, approach the less socially impressive at church, display a heated love for Jesus Christ, and she was pretty too, which helped, you know. And they would eventually go on, you know, they would eventually date and get engaged for some months, and then they would get married in June of this year. Now, I know this guy pretty well, uh, pretty well, and I know what that guy felt towards that young lady last year and even now. I know how stirred up and how in love his heart was, and I know how his heart burned for her. I mention that because there's a very similar thing that goes on in our passage this morning, and that's the verse I told you to put your finger on, verse 32, Luke 24, 32. Let's read that. This is two disciples' response after Jesus preaches himself to them. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, my desire for all of us this morning is to be able to say the same thing as these disciples. Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures? Now, I'm going to step back down I'm going to be very unconventional. I'm going to step back down for a few minutes. And for that time, um, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for God to really visit us in this way. And if you're a believer, you want this. You want that. I, I want us to plead with God to make this a reality in our time this morning. I want us to beg him to soften our hearts and to make our hearts burn within us upon seeing Jesus Christ. So let's petition our king. Uh, Brother Rob, if you could play something soft um, in the back, uh, we can pray for a few minutes and really ask, uh, Lord, please soften us. Please make this a reality in our time this morning, and I will come back up after, and uh, we will dive in to, to the Word of God. Amen.
Father, uh, you've heard all of our prayers that we just prayed, our petitions that we brought before you. As the song goes, you are coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. Father, we bring a big petition that you would make our hearts burn within us this morning upon seeing the face and the beauty of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray that our, I, I pray that our hearts would be satisfied. Pray that our cravings would be met. Pray that our souls would be full and that it would be because of the truth and because of Jesus. And Father, in his mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay. So now let's look at our text. Uh, we'll dive right into our text uh, this morning in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to start in verse 13. Verse 13. Before we uh, take it apart, I want to I give you a lay of the land. Uh, there are mainly three events, three events that take place uh, in this passage, three scenes. One is the walk to Emmaus. Uh, the second is the stay at Emmaus, and the third is the walk back to Jerusalem. And you're probably asking, why would they walk back? You'll see. Okay, so we'll break that apart, and we'll do the first one, the walk to Emmaus, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Clopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's the third day now since all these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women were at the, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him, Jesus, they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that is what happens on the walk to Emmaus. So in a quick summary, there are these two Jesus followers, right? This is after Jesus rises again, after his death on the cross. And there's these two Jesus followers who visited Jerusalem for the Passover, and now they're walking back to their house in Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And so while they're talking, the resurrected Jesus literally just appears out of nowhere and joins in on their conversation. But they don't know that it is him. And Jesus asks what they're talking about, and the two stand still, and they're sad. 
one of them named Clopas, says to Jesus, the Messiah who just died on a cross, are you the only one who does not know what happened in Jerusalem in the past couple days? Don't you know Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? Was just crucified by the chief priests. We thought he was going to save us from the Roman oppression. We thought he was the one, but now he's dead and all our hopes are gone. And Jesus, he's still unknown to them at this point. He's in his uh, Harry Potter invisible cloak, right? And he says to them in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And starting from Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things about himself. So here's Jesus. He flips open his portable Old Testament, and he opens it up, and he shows them Jesus, his sufferings, his glory, his resurrection from places like Genesis and Exodus and Esther and Samuel and Judges and Micah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk, or as Joaquin would say, the only book with a cook, Habakkuk, right? Jesus is holding an impromptu Bible study on this seven-mile walk, and he's, t- he's preaching about himself. If, if there is one place you want to be, this is the place at this Bible study. And thankfully, we're here. And so that is our first scene, the walk, the walk to Emmaus. Okay. So now let's look at our second scene, which is the stay, the stay at Emmaus. Let's read 28 to 32. So they, the three of them, drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It is evening and the day is now far gone. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And here's the verse. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So here's the summary of that, of that scene, the stay at Emmaus. So these three men arrive, they're here at their, uh, their, their home in Emmaus, and Jesus pretends, if you ever knew this about Jesus, he pretends like he's going to walk further, right? And that was actually the custom at that time to not impose on anyone's hospitality or their home, just like you wouldn't walk into someone's house and stay. But the two disciples urge him strongly to stay with them because the day is gone. That was also a custom in ancient times. People were extremely hospitable uh, to even strangers. And Jews treated other Jews like family. That's just what it was like uh, back then. And Jesus, who was going to go on his own, he changes his mind and he gives in to their strong invitation to their sleepover. Then Jesus, our servant king, he serves them at their table. He breaks the bread, he prays, and he hands it out. And while he's serving them, while he's serving them, I don't know if they saw the nails in his hands. I don't know if it was, it was about the way he talked about his father. But while he was serving them at the table, breaking bread, the text tells us that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And as soon as that happens, right, a lot of tough events here, Jesus just disappears. 
vanishes, right? He's God. He can do that, right? Jesus vanishes, and we've heard their glorious response. Our hearts burned within us when he spoke to us on the road, and he opened to us the scriptures. Okay, so that is our second scene, the stay at Emmaus. Let's wrap up our story with our third and final scene, which is the walk back to Jerusalem, the walk back. Why would they walk back, right? That was seven miles they just walked, right? Verse 33 to 35. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, right? So they found the 11 and they're gathered and they're saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here's what happens here. After realizing that it was Jesus that they just saw, not dead, but alive, they've got some news to report. They make a run for it back to Jerusalem where the rest of the believers are gathered. Right? And it's interesting how they would know where the believers are. Right? I, don't know, I don't know where uh, this brother or that sister is at any time in the day, but it's interesting that they know where the believers are. Just a side note. And it shows how close the believers were in the early church. But anyways, they find the 11 and they find the rest of the group. And they, the 11 and the rest, are saying that Jesus is really alive. Verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That the 11 and the rest are saying that. All right, and that is Simon Peter, as we'll see. And the two disciples from Emmaus are just as excited and they report back, oh, my precious Jesus, he appeared to us too. Let us tell you all about it. Right, and that ends our third and our final scene, the walk back to Jerusalem. Okay, so I hope, I hope you've gotten a good grasp of our story. First is the walk to Emmaus. The second is the stay at Emmaus. And the, and the last scene is the walk back to Jerusalem. Okay, so now before I go any further, people say that Jesus is like a diamond. People say that Jesus is like a diamond. Whichever way you behold him, you only see brilliance and beauty. Amen? And so now from the story we just covered, I want to present to you three angles of this beautiful diamond that is our Lord Jesus. I want to show you three angles of this diamond that is our Lord Jesus, and I hope he shows you himself, and I hope our hearts will burn for him. Amen? Okay, angle number one. Jesus is preaching of himself and his cross. Jesus preaches himself and his cross. So before I go any further on this, on this first angle, I must establish one thing. Among anyone who was, anyone who is, and among anyone who will ever be, there is only one person in human history that is worthy to preach himself, and it is Jesus Christ. And we are most blessed when all he does is talk about himself, right? We say that about people, right? Man, all they do is talk about himself. But when Jesus does that, that should be our biggest blessing. Here are some wonderful examples of that. He says, I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the door. Everyone who enters by me will be saved, John 10. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the resurrection and the life. John 11, 
I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14. And I am the vine, John 15. And this is what Jesus does in verse 26. Look with me at verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So here's what he's doing. He first tells the disciples that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and then rise and then be glorified on high. And Jesus himself here in this verse, he is upholding himself the most significant event in human history. Jesus is highlighting the most significant event in human history. And so now let's key in on that word, necessary, necessary. Jesus himself highlights that the cross was a necessity. It was a requirement. It was the great need for all men. If there was no cross, your sins are not forgiven. If there was no cross, you are not drawing near to God. If there was no cross, there's no God as father, but only as judge. If there was no cross, Satan and sin are still your masters. If there was no cross, we go to hell forever like we deserve. And if there was no cross, I'm still trying to find my all in all in the world and never finding it. Oh, saints, consider and imagine if there was no Jesus who died in your place on that cross. I feel like we don't think about that enough. And remember, remember that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer. And the, but the reality is, is that he bore your sin in his body on the tree, and by his wounds you are healed. That the Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. 1 Peter 3. It's true that he died for our sins according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's true that he cried, it is finished on that cross. No more guilt to carry, no more grief to bear. And oh, saints, I really hope this hits you. The truth is in 1 Peter 2, he says that Christ suffered for you. Does that hit you at all? Christ suffered for you. Brother, sister, Christ suffered for you, I, I know you know it. Does that hit your heart at all? He suffered for you that he might leave you an example. I hope that does something to your heart. I know we hear it every Sunday, every day maybe. Remember the words of the sweet hymn, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. And he's just hitting these two disciples with this. He's hitting them with the cross. He's hitting them with the truth. From the Old Testament, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture, right? The Old Testament, the things about himself. And so Jesus has his portable copy of the Old Testament open, and he's showing these guys everything from scripture about himself. He's telling them how Esther, he is the Esther that saved the Jews from their genocide. He is telling them how he is the Joseph who was unfairly imprisoned, but eventually led to ruling Egypt and saving his people. He's telling them, that's me. He is the Boaz that redeemed a hopeless, a filthy, a Gentile woman in Ruth. Oh, he's telling them that he is the rock that Moses struck with his staff. Remember when he struck that rock and the water came out of that rock? 
He is telling them, I am that rock. When Jesus was struck on the cross, water came out for everybody to drink. He's telling them, I am that rock. He's telling them, I am the substitute lamb in the bush that Abraham offered up instead of Isaac, his son, when, when Abraham was about to kill Isaac. I read that passage this morning, and it really hit me. Saints, the lamb was offered instead of Isaac. You are Isaac, and he is that lamb. He was offered up instead of you for your sin. Does that hit you? Does that hit me? He was offered up in your place. He was your substitute on that cross. The one whom heaven cannot contain. The lamb was offered up instead of Isaac. And the glories go on. Remember the words of our brother, the apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians one twenty three. but we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sounds a lot like his master. And so that is the first angle of the Jesus diamond. Jesus preaches Jesus and him crucified. The most blessed preacher preaching the most blessed person. And we know that if we've really tasted and seen that only Jesus and his cross is what will cause a heart to burn. Amen? Which takes us to our second angle of the Jesus diamond. Angle number two, Jesus' aim for a burning heart. Jesus' aim for a burning heart. Verse 32, And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The first thing I want to point out here is that when Jesus was was teaching his two-man Bible study, a small group, little CG right there, right? Um, Little two-man Bible study on the road, he was aiming for their heart. That's how they respond. He was aiming for their hearts, their affections, their desires, their passions, their wants, their cravings. He was aiming for their hearts to be lit and burning for him. I feel like some people do this, but he wasn't just trying to mechanically connect Old Testament puzzle pieces together and show them, okay, now see, that's how you get to Jesus from Ruth. And that's how you get to Jesus from Ezekiel or Judges or Zechariah. And I feel like this is important for us to know as the people who have the most doctrine and the most knowledge and the most books and the most theology, it's not only about getting it right. We have to get it right but it's so much more about getting our hearts to burn for this Jesus. The ultimate aim of our Lord is clear in this verse. They don't say, wow, like that was, I feel more intelligent after that Bible study. Did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us on the road? Jesus' aim is for a burning heart, not Puritan book collectors or online Facebook theology debaters. And so my question to you, saints, Is your heart burning for Jesus Christ? Are you in love? Are your eyes captivated? Are your cravings met? Are your affections burning for him? 
Or do you know all the Bible facts and the stories and the interpretations and all this is old and jaded and now you're on autopilot as a Christian? Bible reading is a burdensome chore every day. Prayer is a repetitive task and an obligation. Carrying out your duties and your responsibilities for God and by His strength is a foreign reality. Oh, if that is you, if that is you, I would plead with you to return to and to remember Jesus Christ. And remember that he died for you, saint. So I hope we see that Jesus' aim is clear. It is for a burning heart. It is for a burning heart. But I also want to show you how. How did Jesus exactly burn their hearts? How did he do it? Let's look at the end of verse 32. Look at the end of verse 32. It says, Our hearts burned within us while he opened to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. While the Bibles were open, he burned our hearts. Jesus' Bible was wide open when causing their hearts to be stirred and lit on fire. It was not fluffy emotionalism or Google self-help quotes with a pretty lady in the background and a forest. That's, That's not what he was doing. His Bible was open. His Old Testament was wide open. He was living out Proverbs 23, 23. Buy truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom. Get instruction. Get understanding. And so, so, saints, my question to you is, is your Bible open? Is your Bible open for him to speak to your soul? Is your Bible open for him to burn your heart within you? Psalm 119 92, this is what it looks like. He says, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished. I would have died in my affliction. One of the kids in our youth group, uh, she was saying that before she goes to school, I will, she says, I can't go to school if I, don't read, if I don't read Psalm 27. I will die if I, don't, if I don't read Psalm 27 before school. That's the attitude. If your word had not been my delight, I would, have di- I would die in my affliction. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily portion of food. Is that us? Are the Bibles open? Oh, Gateway Church, read your Bibles. Delight, delight in his word. Pause, focus, meditate on the truths and the person that oozes out of this book. That's where Bible reading doesn't just become, I read my three chapters in eight minutes and it's over. You're going deeper than that. Okay, so we see that Jesus' aim is to burn hearts and we see how he did it with an open Bible. Now, before I move on, I want to show you, I I also want to show you where, where did Jesus do this? Where did he burn their hearts? It wasn't in a temple service. It wasn't at a formal Bible study. It wasn't in a a huge building and a priest with a robe. It wasn't a particular occasion or gathering or day. Look at the middle of verse 32. The middle of verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us? Here it is. While he talked to us on the road. He's on the street. He's not in here. While he talked to us on the road. Jesus was on a seven-mile walk on the street with two disciples when he was causing them to fall in love with himself. There didn't have to be a big occasion 
to get his Bible open. The Bible's naturally open with Jesus. Jesus did this off the cuff. And so, saints, I want to challenge you to something, to the same thing. And I'm not telling, I'm, this might sound kind of weird, but I want to challenge us all with it. Take your Bibles with you everywhere. Stir up and start up intentional spiritual conversation every time you meet. Not because it's forced, not because it's legalistic, but because we want Jesus to be the one thing in our lives. I mean, why not? If you're gathering with a brother or a sister, you're missing out. We want Jesus to be the one thing in our lives that we desperately desire. Ask each other how their soul is, how you've been encouraged, discouraged, and stir each other up to love and good works. Go deeper than surface level. Life is too hard not to point each other to Jesus. Go deeper than surface level. Every time you gather, read a Bible passage. It doesn't have to be long. Every, read a Bible passage every time you gather, even though that's harder and you, it might be more awkward and it involves more spiritual legwork. Guys, brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm with you. Is Jesus really all I have? We sing that song. We love that song, Sovereign Grace. All I have is Christ. Is that, is that true? Is that real? Is that real for me? That's, that might sound weird and over the top, Gideon. Can you support it from the Bible? Here's my attempt. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your kids. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down in bed, when you get up in the morning. Bind them as a sign around your hand, as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doors of your house and on your gates. That sounds pretty, sounds like a maniac to us. But that's, that's, that's what the Bible says. We got to go by the Bible. We got to go by the Bible. Saints, Everywhere you go, whatever you do, Bible, Jesus, all I have is Christ. He is my life. He's all I have. He's all I want. He's all I need. Amen? Let's seek Jesus whose aim is a burning heart. Seek him with an open Bible and seek him anywhere and everywhere. The sermon progress is like the equivalent of this water bottle. We're, we're close. We're close. Which takes us to the last angle, the last angle in our Jesus diamond, in our Lord's beauty. Angle number three, Jesus' friendship to sinners. I really hope this hits your heart. It hit mine. I hope this hits you. Jesus' friendship to sinners. So we see Jesus' friendship to sinners in our third scene when they walk back to Jerusalem. Look with me in verses 33 and 34. And they rose, the two, uh, that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, they were saying, the eleven and, and the rest, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Okay, so I need you to hang with me. So these guys go back. They find the eleven and the others. And those that are there, they're saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he appeared to Simon. Which, so now we have to clarify which Simon. Because among the 12 disciples, 
Do you guys know how many Simons there were? Two. Two Simons among the twelve. We know that there was Simon the Zealot, and there was, of course, Simon who is called Peter. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us clarity on which Simon it was. I love how the Bible does this, right? It clears it up. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised, and that he appeared to Cephas. And Cephas is the Greek for Peter. So, you're with me. He appears to Simon Peter, not to the zealot, right, to Peter. Jesus appears to him. And, and so, so why do I bring that up? Like, why does that matter? Why does it matter that little phrase in verse 33, 34, he appeared to Simon? Well, brothers and sisters, think about the last thing that Simon Peter did. Think. What was the last thing he did before Jesus died and he rose again? What is the last scene we see of him? And as you guys, some of you guys are thinking, it was when, Jesus, when, he, it was when Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus washed his filthy feet in John 13. Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail in Luke 22. Jesus healed his mother-in-law who was sick with a fever in Mark chapter 1. Jesus caught his fish. He did his job. Luke 5. Jesus encouraged him when he confessed Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus put up with all his little silly responses of foolishness, right? But Peter denied him three times. I don't know the man. In Mark 14, we're even told that on the third time Peter denied Jesus, Peter even called a curse on himself. He's calling a curse on himself, and he started to swear. He's swearing, like he's going all in on this thing. I don't, I don't know this man of whom you speak. You, surely you were with Jesus, I swear. And he's, he's dropping all the curse words you know in your head right now, right? And he's like, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. He washed my feet, he healed my mom, he caught my fish, he loved me, he cared for me, he served me, he, par- he prayed for me, he walked with me for years, but I don't know him. Peter denies him to his face. And that's us apart from the grace of God. But that's not my point. What I want you to see, what is Jesus' response? He throws him out, peace out, Peter, rebukes him, condemns him, makes him feel shame and ruin for his actions. That's not what I see in my Bible. That's not what I have in my Bible. I have an ESV, right? This is what we do have. Verse 34, he appeared to Simon the denier. He appeared to him. He showed himself to him. I'm alive. So I picture the two disciples, they're running back all seven miles to Jerusalem. And the disciples there are, you know, they're, they're jumping around, they're rejoicing in a typical Hebrew living room. I don't know what it was. And they're rejoicing in the risen Jesus as they're saying to the two when they show up, he appeared to Simon. And they say, the 11 and the rest, they're like, come on, Simon, tell them. Simon, tell them how he showed up to you. And I picture Simon, and he's there. And he's, he's not so proud anymore. He's not saying, I'll never deny him. I see him soft, humbled by his sin, 
because he denied Jesus, but I see him rejoicing in the Jesus who is the friend of sinners, who appeared to him even though Peter denied Jesus to his face. I picture Peter in that, in that room, whatever it was, and he says, he knows what I did, but he still showed up to me. He still showed me that he's alive. He still came to me, and he didn't count it against me. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, that has to encourage you. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Peter's sin did not withhold him from pursuing him. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember his reputation among his enemies. Matthew eleven nineteen. the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a f- but a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Remember Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 2, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but sinners. Come on. Come on, saints, struggling and sinful. Saints, are you a sinner? Are you a mess? Are you needy? Are you ruined by the fall? Are you wounded? Are you sick? Are you sore? Do you feel the sins of bitterness and pride and impatience and envy? Do you not love your spouse as you should? Join the club, right? Do you see how you fail to love God and to love your neighbor? Then join the club. Join the club. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Hallelujah. He heals the sinner, not the righteous. He came for the sick and not the healthy. He loved and pursued and appeared to Peter. Even when he denied him, swore a curse. Swore and and put a curse on himself. I don't know him, but Peter's sin did not stop Jesus' loving chase for Peter. Jesus is a friend of sinners. So that's it. Our three angles of our Lord Jesus from this text. One, Jesus died for you. He preaches himself and his cross. Jesus' aim is for a burning heart. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen? I hope that's enough for you. I hope it's enough for me. Let us fix our eyes on him, falling deeper in love with him, with our hearts burning for him and him alone. And let us make our prayer with the psalmist. 119. 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Luke 24, 32. I'll end as we started. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scripture, when he spoke to us on the road? Saints, let's keep running the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a friend of sinners. Lord, and you are the only one that will cause a a heart to really burn. And we thank you that you suffered in our place. Instead of the ram, instead of Isaac, the, the lamb was offered up in Genesis 22. And oh, in our place, the lamb was offered up. Hallelujah. All glory be to Christ. Father, help us to live for him and him alone. In his mighty name we pray, amen.